Welcome to the Agile Book Club. You are your hosts, Justina and Paul. Hello, and welcome to the Agile Book Club. I'm Paul Clip, and I'm here with Justina Pindell. And today we'll be talking with Dr. Klaus Leopold about his latest book, Rethinking Agile. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. We publish a new episode every two weeks. If you think what we're doing is valuable to you, there's nothing quite as sincere as cash. You can help cover the costs of bringing you the Agile Book Club every two weeks by clicking on the Patreon link in your podcast player or at agilebookclub.buzzsprout.com. Now, here's our interview with Klaus Leopold. Ah, hello there, Klaus. <laughs> hi, Klaus. <laughs> hello, hi. So I'm here with you, Stina. Hi, Justina. Hi, hi. And thank you so much for joining us. Cool, thanks for having me. So we want to talk about your last book, uh, Rethinking Agile, mm. and which, of course, we both read several times. I'm looking at Justina's mm-hmm. copy here. It has so <laughs> it has more post-it notes stuck into it than pages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> nice. So... <laughs> So you've heard the podcast already. We we both very much enjoyed reading the book. Who did you have in mind when you wrote it? Um, well, I, I heard the podcast, and I, I must say um, I really enjoyed listening uh, to you guys when when you were talking about the book. So what caught your attention, and so that was really that was interesting for me as as a writer. You know, you don't get this kind of feedback uh, too often. Um, so your question was what. what what was the reader that I had in mind, right? Yes. Well, who did you um, want to impact? What change did you want to, to drive? Yeah. So I think it was uh, pretty clear, actually. Um, it was seniorish management um, as the main target group. That's also the reason why there's not so much text and more pictures in the book. <laughs> um, it somehow might sound funny, but I think. Um, the point is that um, people don't read so much. And even uh, if I think there's there's a new topic that somewhere arises uh, on the horizon and I'm somehow interested in it and the thing I need to read is a 300 pages book, I'm like, hmm, well, <laughs> I probably won't do it. So the idea was to, to, to yeah, deliver something where the barrier is a little bit lower um, to, to, yeah, for people to, to read it. So top management, because I think the, the top management, the seniorish management, um, the, the things I try to cover, they address actually their needs. That's at least uh, what I thought. And the other um, group was people who are somehow part of an agile transformation that's already going on. And they're like, okay, that's what probably could be the problem in our scenario. So I give this book to my boss, kind of. Oh, this was the, <laughs> the people I had in my mind. So do you think that the successful way to communicate with executive managers is through images? Because I've heard that so many people have problems with you know, catching the executive to talk with them or just you know picture their idea. And from the first group that you described, I think that that might be a tricky but very successful way to talk with them. Yeah, well, um, I think um, pictures make stuff a little bit more accessible. So at least I'm quite a, a visual kind of person. And um, yeah, it somehow helps me to learn. And I was like, okay, uh, what I usually do is I write textbooks. 
okay, there are also some charts in there and figures and stuff like this. But, um, well, <laughs> I think it, it's different if there is so many illustrations. And at least I think the illustrations, they are also, um, some of them are really kind of funny. So uh, I really love uh, to work with uh, the illustrator, uh, Matthias Seifert. I think he really did a great job. And I think it just helps to, yeah, to, to get access to the material, kind of. The thing that I really enjoy about this, um, aside from the fact that it's aimed at executives, and those are the people we really need reached because, well, for the reasons <laughs> that are in the book, but I've been involved in, in the Agile community for a long time. And I, I think what you've identified is a problem that a lot of us have faced, but we didn't realize it early on, and that is that I suspect it's because of all of the money to be made in scrum <laughs> training and Kanban <laughs> training and such, and that it's a lot easier to sell training to team members than it is to sell training to executive managers. If only because there are so many more of them, there's more money to be made selling at the team level. If you could go back to the early days of Agile, back, back when everyone was still excited about XP and Scrum was a new thing, and there wasn't a Scrum Alliance, there weren't certifications, there wasn't a Lean Kanban University, and give us some advice back then, before we started on, on this path to Agile training, what would you do? Yeah, well, I think um, we probably shouldn't um, fall into the trap of the, I, I guess, hindsight buyers is uh, how, how uh, Daniel Kahneman would put this. So um, now I, of course, know what I would do better. Um, but back then, um, well, of course, if I would have all this knowledge, I don't know, almost, it's almost 20 years, actually, um, back, um, of course, it wouldn't be about a software development team. So the root, when, when, when we look back, back at XP or so, it was software, it was software development, it was teams, but this is just where it originated. Originated, And I think all this knowledge that we currently have about business agility, so it's, it's for a long time no longer about um, only software development and stuff like this. So it already, um, yeah, entered different areas in an organization. So if this would have been clear back then, um, of course, we would have started on a, like with senior coaching, senior training, senior consulting and everything. But I think it, it emerges out from there. And of course, there are business models of training companies, consulting companies, which somehow build around um, this, this whole training business. And of course, as you said before, um, yeah, you can earn more money. By teaching, I don't know, 300 teams, uh, but usually there's only a couple of management teams in an organization. So there's probably something which, um, yeah, tries to hold back, uh, further development of this because that's where money is being made. But, um, the point I want to make is, um, yes, if we would have known it, it would have been different, I guess. But I think it also emerged from there. So I think nobody back then thought about something like business agility uh, when people started to uh, use XP. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. I was there too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so something that I found really, really useful from the book, something that I really enjoyed was 
this this simple problem solving approach that you can apply at just about any level. Could you walk us through the process that you use to uncover and visualize and respond to dependencies inside mm-hmm. the corporation? Okay, so when it comes to dependencies, so usually I I always start with um, I try to uncover how this organization how this organization is uh, generating value uh, on the market for uh, the customer, and this means uh, I, I try to look for what are the products, what are the services, what what is basically the offering. I somehow try to make this visible in the room. So we are not talking about uh, organizational structure. So we're only talking about, okay, what, what's actually, um, yeah, where the market or the customers, um, what, what they care about. We make this visible in the room. And in a second step, um, we try to identify dependencies between these services and products, because often it's the case that one uh, service or one product builds on a service, right? So if you want to change something in a product, you need to change another service or another product. So try to somehow make this visible just by drawing lines, more or less. And then in the third step, um, I try to somehow map the organization into it. So it depends on how um, huge the organization is. So if we're talking about a couple of hundred um, people, we can already start with teams. So we basically just make the teams visible and somehow try to connect um, the teams to the products um, and services. And usually this ends up in a huge mess because there's tons of dependencies there. Um, If we see something like this, we somehow try to identify where are the most lines. This means where are the most uh, dependencies. And then we basically try to figure out what could be flight level two systems. You know, on a flight level two system, the idea is to manage um, end to end from idea to impact. Um, so what could be good flight level two systems? And then uh, starting from the flight level two system, we can go up uh, and probably cluster some flight level two systems. If we have um, dependencies between the flight level two systems, we go up to the uh, flight level three system, where's the strategy. And as the teams are already somewhere visualized, we already know the flight level one systems. This would be somehow the process that I that I'm usually trying to, um, yeah, come up with, um, yeah, the dependencies. And it's it's not only dependencies. What you're also doing is when you come up with something like this, I call it the flight level architecture. Um, you basically have an idea what boards you need to build and who needs to coordinate with whom, kind of. Does it somehow make sense? So without drawing, it's a little bit difficult, I guess. So from your experience, what is the hardest part of that process? (laughs) The hardest part? Hmm. Good question. So the hardest Thank part you. is always the people. Yeah. <laughs> the hardest part is always the people. So, uh, I mean, uh, agile would be so easy if there wouldn't be any human beings around. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's really, uh, taking the people with you on the journey. That's the, that's definitely the hardest part. Because one thing, it might make sense that we need to manage all these dependencies. 
and we need to have some stand-up meetings here and do retrospectives over there. This all might make sense, but if you don't have the people on the board, um, yeah, <laughs> you're doomed, kind of. And I think you mentioned that in the book, that in any agile transformation, there's going to be a certain human impact. When you, when you, when you make a, a significant change to the way an organization works and thinks, there are going to be some people who just simply do not adapt and, and choose to remove themselves. Yes. It's yes. unfortunate. And true. But, yeah, I mean, what can you do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about dependencies, and uh, one of the things, and, and if I've just missed it, I apologize, but one of the criticisms that I raised in the podcast was that this book doesn't address the problem of shared services precisely. <laughs> um, most of the dependencies that you were talking about were dependencies between product teams or teams working on the same product. What do you? What is your advice to an organization when the things that are preventing them from delivering more smoothly or faster are overloaded shared services team. Yeah. So you didn't miss it, um, but, you know, I need material for the next book. So (laughs) it will be covered in the next book. (laughs) Um, Yeah, shared services is for sure a thing, especially when we're talking about um, organizational agility. So not only agility in, in software development, in an organization, you have tons of shared services like don't know, lawyers or marketing people, PR people, and so on. So there's a lot of um, yeah, shared services. Well, um, it also depends on um, how huge your organization is. But what I kind of like to do is I like to manage them on a flight level two system uh, and on a portfolio flight level two system. So um, what we see on a portfolio flight level two system is that you see multiple um, products or services, and they are basically all competing about the same um, shared services, about the same people, right? So if your organization is not too um, large, what you can do is you can come up with um, like avatars or, you know, magnets for um, your lawyers, for instance. So let's say there are, I don't know, four lawyers in your organization and one lawyer can work on five or six cases in parallel. So there's quite a lot of waiting time in between. So let's say five cases and how many lawyers do we get? Uh, four, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. four times five, this means we have 20 magnets. So we can place these 20 magnets on our flight level two portfolio board. And, uh, I can no longer, or I can, I can, so it, if we need a lawyer, um, we need to take a decision right now, right? So that's how we basically somehow make it visible that there's something like a bottleneck and then we can trigger a conversation. So shall we stop working on, on this case and, and start working on another case? Or shall we finish one of these cases and then we start on the other one? But that's what, how I try um, to do it. Does it somehow make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um Justin and I were talking about this just uh, just last week, and the the concept of flight level two visualization and getting the right people into the room, I think, opens up so many possibilities. I was saying that what I frequently see as a solution in organizations, a solution in air quotes, is having some sort of a meeting in which the work on the shared services team is prioritized. Mm-hmm. So you, you're still getting the same amount of work through the pipeline, but the higher priority work is going through first. 
And what I have never seen happen before, because I've never implemented a flight level two system, but I can imagine it happening. What I've never seen happen before is upstream decisions being made based on the capacity of a downstream shared service resource. So, um, mm-hmm. for example, if we're, we're not going to build two products that both depend on the same backend system simultaneously, because both of those product teams are going to be hitting the team that supports that system a lot. If we, if we stagger it, then that team won't become a bottleneck for those two products. Yes. So that sort of thing could really happen with a, a flight level two system that works appropriately. But I guess that's one of the main purposes of these flight level two systems. So you get the right people in the room and even, so there's always two things you need to manage. So when there's work already in flight and there are conflicts, we need to manage them. But we also need to manage uh, it before we, our dependencies before we actually start working on it. So um, usually um, if you try to align um, the work in your organization to the strategy, you have something like a strategy meeting where we basically come up with the, let's say, business priorities for the next don't know, months or two months or three months. And then we usually do something like a dependency planning where we exactly come up with um, uh, <laughs> the question you, you just rose or the problem you just rose. Can we actually deliver it? And if not, there needs to be some feedback loop to the prioritization. And this is all before we start even working on the stuff. And that's actually the, the main reason of flight level two systems to, to have this discussion, discussion before we start. But usually reality doesn't stick to our plan. So, um, we need to have frequent meetings in front of the board. So that's, that's the second, um, yeah, important thing with flight level two systems. You get all the people in front of the board, even marketing and the lawyers and the finance people together with IT and whoever's in the organization. And you basically talk about, um, yeah, your conflicts that are coming up, popping up. Uh, I have a question because at the beginning of our podcast, you used the term business agility. And I was just mm. so curious about your definition of business agility and the biggest misconception that you've heard so far. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that's again a very good one because I think uh, the the term business agility, um, I, I somehow try to avoid it, but um, I, I'm not very good uh, in avoiding it. But there's a reason why I want to avoid it because I think it's somehow already burned. So uh, for me, business agility really. So when I talk about agility, it's not about agile teams or agile IT or agile marketing or agile whatever. What I want to see is that the business, the, the entire organization is acting agile on the market. And that's what I would call business agility. But what I see going on uh, today is that we are applying the same logic like we did in, in software for software development teams, now for business teams. And now we call this business agility. This means that don't know a procurement team needs to do a sprint planning and then they are doing a sprint. And I'm like, what is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's why I'm a little bit um, cautious when when I talk about or I try to be cautious when I talk about uh, business agility. But this is exactly not business agility for me. So for me, not each and every team needs to do an agile method in an organization, uh, and then we can call our 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 enterprise or our organization like we are our business is agile i think that's totally wrong in my opinion but that's what i see quite often happening out there 
Okay, I'm satisfied. <laughs> Yeah, but I even think that in some areas of the of the organization, it even it even it hinders the organization, or it's 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 a disadvantage if these teams are agile. So if you are somewhere uh, in an area where you have really repetitive um, kind of work, um, mm. it doesn't make any sense to spend uh, yeah uh, effort in doing something like sprint planning. So it. It might be much better if they are doing something like, I don't know, Six Sigma makes sense. Or if we are in, in, in other areas in an organization where we really know what's going on uh, and we, we, we have the knowledge how to build something, we can do a project plan. I don't have a problem with it. So for me, and, and I think that's, that's the whole point behind business agility, the business needs to be agile on the market and we need to pick the right methods in our organization to achieve this goal. And this doesn't mean that all teams need to do, uh, I don't know, sprints or something like this. So it's, yeah, something else. So one of the things I enjoyed about this book, it's, it's, um, I, I like books that tell a story that I can put myself into. You know, one of, one of those lovely things about the goal was you read the book and you thought I could be that guy. Yeah. Those are, are, that isn't that hard to do. And I had the same feeling when I was reading Rethinking Agile. I was thinking, the next time I get invited into a situation like this, I know just what I'm going to do. Um, because you're telling a story. You're telling a story about an experience that you actually had with a trouble, troubled Agile transformation. Were there any good stories from that experience that you didn't include in the book? Good stories that I did not include in the book. Well, actually, I included um, quite a lot of stories. So, well, in the beginning, you know, there, there uh, I only presented the the trend charts of the teams. So, um, and the, the general trend was that the teams were not improving. This is true, but the other thing is there were actually teams where, um, yeah, where the Basically, they, they improved their velocity, for instance, scrum teams. So they delivered more. Um, but still the, the project did not improve or the, the, how's it called? The, um, the time to market of the initiative, where they were working on did not improve. And then, um, they were like, but agile works. You know, our team method works. We are better. Um, but still the project didn't, uh, improve and, uh, or the initiative. And uh, they just didn't understand it, that this is totally two different uh, kind of things. And we really had a lot of discussions. You know, we did this shipbuilding exercise and we discussed it for hours, basically, uh, to get this message across. So, um, well, in the book, it's it's more like it, it, it's 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 not all it's not everything um, to the detail. Uh, that we've seen. So there were a lot of, um, yeah, things, uh, going on in terms of building the awareness of, of how this all works. And people were, they were somehow puzzled because it doesn't make, it didn't make any sense for them. So in the book, it was more like, okay, I explained it. They got it and we changed it. But this is only a part of the story. So there was really, there were a lot of tears, sweat and tears. Um, yeah, to get to this point, more or less. So that's what I completely left out in the book. That's one thing. <laughs> so, so you hid the fact that it's hard. 
<laughs> yes, it is hard. So, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So the book is more like, okay, there was a problem. Then the hero comes in. We fix the problem kind of. Uh, and then everything is great. Uh, in real life, there was more pain involved. I mean, pain. Pain sounds negative, but there was more like, you know, there was more energy involved, like, okay, what is going on? And, and people didn't understand it. And it was really like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. But you, when the goal is, uh, to you know, not write more than 140 pages, um, you need to leave, leave out stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think, uh, you were talking about, about having one at ad, one agile team that was performing much better than they had been before, having no impact whatsoever. And I think the illustration on the cover of the book illustrates that the reasons for that very well. I think it's one of the, the great takeaways from the book. I had this impression when I was reading about that, um, an analogy of, um, you know, the, the scenario where you've got a, a string of, of firefighters passing buckets of water to put out a fire. <clears throat> if one of the firefighters in the middle can pass the buckets twice as fast, but the rest of the line is behaving exactly the same way. It doesn't actually change a thing. And this exactly. is one of the problems that's plaguing so many organizations doing their agile transformations. So when you, when, if you're going in to do an agile transformation, presumably you want to speak with the executives in the company. Um, mm -hmm. What is it that you are looking for? What kind of attitudes and or beliefs or behaviors are you looking for in executives to give you an idea that an agile transformation could be successful in this environment. Mm, yeah. So what I try to do is I really try to talk about outcomes because today, at least that's my observation. So, but what did I know? Um, but today it, it, a lot is about buzzwords. We want Kanban. We want Scrum. We want flight levels. We want safe, less, whatever. And I'm like, I don't think that you want to have something like safe or less or campaign or flight levels. What is the real problem we are trying to solve? So if we come to this point, where we're really talking about this is the outcome uh, that we want to achieve. And we even leave out buzzwords like agile. For me, agile is a buzzword. That's a huge balloon of hot air where everything, everybody can somehow project something into this uh, hot balloon of air. And we are all talking about Agile, but everybody has a different understanding. For some people, agility means faster. For other people, it means we need to hug each and every tree. And another uh, people thinks, okay, uh, throughput goes up and everybody feels well. But what is it really? What is the outcome we want to achieve? I think that's, that's the most important thing. And we need to have something like a commitment that we are working on it. And working on it does not mean that we are implementing frameworks working on on it were um yeah for me it's like that we are allowed to think frameworks are awesome because there's some ideas in there but we need to apply it uh for the context uh so that we actually change um yeah or solve the problem we want to solve this is the very first thing i try to work on so burn all these um methods and uh yeah, bullshit bingo words, kind of. Speaking of, of methods and, and bingo words, I've, 
I've, I've only read two of your books so far, I'll admit. I read, I loved Kanban Change Leadership. I thought it was one of the most comprehensive books written on Kanban at the time that it came out. When, that was, what, like about five years ago? I think the English version was 2015 or so, and the German version was 2012 already. Okay, well, I didn't read the German version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when I read the English version back in 2015, that was a book that you had already written three years earlier. So it's been a while now. And I noticed that that book was, um, I was just flipping through it again recently. It has a very strong team focus. Could you mm-hmm. tell me how you feel your, your understanding of Kanban has evolved between your last book and Rethinking Agile? Mm-hmm. Well, if we, so Camp and Change Leadership, so the English version was 2015. The German version was 2012. This means um, we are talking about experiences I made, something between 2009 to 2011. Um, and that's quite a long time ago, actually. We're talking about 10 years. <laughs> and um, yeah, roughly 10 years back, I was also more into the team camp I knew there there is something like management in or, in an organization, of course, and they are important, and we need to win them over. But I didn't have any solutions to. Uh, so, what does this mean uh, if if management is somehow um, agile? So, I think this uh, thinking has definitely uh, evolved in the last ten years uh, from my side. I think I have some really good solutions uh, for management. I'm not sure if this is still Kanban. That's the other thing. That's also the reason why um, I somehow call these flight levels because that's somehow, well, I, I don't think it has a lot to do with, with Kanban. If we take a look in Kanban, we have agendas, we have values, we have service delivery, we have certain roles. Uh, so, yeah, I think <laughs> maybe, maybe mm-hmm. my, my thinking about Kanban, so for me, there, there was more stuff added to it, like back to in, in, in the last 10 years. And I basically went the other direction. I took stuff out of it, kind of. So for me, I, I always try to simplify stuff because I think simplifying is really difficult. Um, or yeah, having a simple message is, 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 is quite difficult, actually. So I, I always try to remove stuff. And I think in Kanban, there was more stuff added. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see that. So, so you, you're focused more on flight levels right now. And I've noticed that um, your company offers flight level training workshops. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, who's attending those kind of workshops? What is it that you teach them to do? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's um, so I think the, the more far away I am from, from Germany, Austria, Switzerland, this, this, this kind of area, um, the more different the audience is. So in the beginning of the year, I had a flight level training in Thailand. And there were, I actually had two flight level trainings in, in Thailand. And it was completely backed with sea level uh, managers. And th- this was really a surprise because usually, uh, so at least here in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, sea level usually does not show up in, in public training classes. You probably get them in in-house classes. But in public training classes, that's that's not the usual case. Um, but it was actually quite nice because they were like, okay, 
the feedback was, was really nice. So they were like, okay, now I know what my role is. I went to camp and training. I went to scrum training. I did quite a lot of training. And as a manager, I'm like, yes, that's good stuff. But what is my role in this? And uh, when they attended the flight level training, they were like, okay, now it makes sense. At least that was the feedback. They were like, okay, there's more than only one method. And flight levels, this is somehow a glue or something like this, which somehow glues the agile island in an organization together and aligns it to the strategy. So that's something what you see in quite a lot of um, organizations. Um, in particular cases, it makes sense to do Scrum on a team level. In other cases, it makes sense to do uh, Kanban uh, over there and maybe less over there and a little bit of safe over there. But everything needs to be somehow aligned to the strategy. And I think that's where uh, flight levels comes in, where you basically somehow glue all these agile islands together and align it to the strategy. And I think that's one of the main tasks um, for for managers. I think it's the best description of agile management I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> We spoke about your previous book, now about your current book. So what will be your upcoming book? Mm. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really thinking of um, one that I want to start in, uh, in the summer, but I'm not sure. So <laughs> the natural thing would be um, to dig deeper, um, like more or less part two of Rethinking Agile. And uh, so the first thing is more like uh, the problem statement and we somehow address, okay, this could be some solutions, but we didn't go uh, deep into it. So um, that's basically what we are doing in the flight levels training. So it would make sense basically to write a book like what we are doing in the flight level training, which is basically nothing else like how can we implement all these ideas uh, in rethinking Agile. So this would be the idea for... Uh, for the next book. But, yeah, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you haven't started yet? W well, <laughs> it's always, so you know, writing a, book, <laughs> writing a book is a process. I probably already started, I don't know, a year ago with this book. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's not only writing. So for me, the, the, the storyline is, is more important than the writing process. Um, I, I can get help in, in the writing process. People can support me and people can read the stuff and can, can, yeah, they can help me uh, with the writing process. But I think getting the story straight, uh, is quite difficult. And I'm always thinking of how to, how to tell the story. So I think I'm already working on the next book for a year, but maybe it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's ready <laughs> to put on paper in summer. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's see. So, so you started this off by saying it was interesting to hear people just talking about your book, hearing, hearing from um, your target audience, really, uh, just talking about their experience with the book. What is it that you would want? What is it that you hope that your readers take away after reading Rethinking Agile? Uh, I think uh, one, one really big hope is um, that readers take away that you are really allowed to think. So there is no agile silver bullet or whatever out there. 
And there are no recipes, which if you just apply the recipe right, everything will be fine. So I hope that the main takeaway is that people somehow think in systems, try to think in more global optimization um, kind of way. And um, yeah, that there is no silver bullet, that you need to come up with your own solution, which basically solves your problem. Be inspired for with all the frameworks and methods out there and all these recipes. That's great. And there's great stuff in it. But you need to apply the right methods in the right part of your organization. Uh, if this message gets across, um, yeah, this would be awesome, actually. Fabulous. Well, I think you did a great job at communicating that message. Um, I want to thank nice. you for coming here and being with us today. It's it's always a pleasure chatting with you. And nice. uh, thank you so much for the, the good work that you're doing for the community. Yes, thank you. Nice. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so join us for our next podcast when we will be talking about Dominica de Grandis's book, Making Work Visible. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>